Well, welcome here to Big Valley Grace, especially those of you that are visiting for the first time. Welcome to all of you over in the, the venue. We're glad you're with us. And all of you that are watching online, we're grateful. And if you're visiting with us in here, we always have hundreds and hundreds of people that watch us online at each of our, our gathering. And sometimes there's multiple people around those computer screens or they pipe them in through their, um, their computers into their, their television sets, and we're glad you're, you're with us. Um, today we're going to have communion, and I hope, uh, I think the message is going to lead into just a, a great time of remembering the Lord and his life and his death and his burial, his resurrection, his soon coming, and uh, maybe you're at home and you might want to get a piece of bread and a cup of juice, and you can enjoy communion at home with your family or whoever you're with uh, a little bit later on. Last week, uh, we started a new series here where we're looking at the first part of what many people call Jesus's greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which I want us to read together. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, right there inside your notes, all the verses that we're going to look at today are there. It'll even come up on your computer screen or it'll be on the jumbotrons. We want you to see the the word of God for yourself. It says this in Matthew chapter five. Now when he, that's Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecute who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The word um, bless that Jesus uses eight times here is the Greek word makarios, which means happy. It's the word for happiness. To be blessed is to be happy. So when Jesus had this group of people sitting on that mountainside and he stands up and he uses that phrase eight times, blessed, Are you? Blessed are you. He's saying, happy are you. He's telling us how we can be really, truly happy in this life. And there's a lot of crummy substitutes that are out there. It'll give you some joy and some happiness for for a little while. But the creator is telling us something here. The creator is telling his creation something very important. He's telling us this is how you can be truly happy. I I shared with you last week that one scholar said um, that this happiness that Jesus offers is, quote, a divinely bestowed well-being that belongs only to the faithful. And I'll probably keep putting that up there throughout the whole series because I want you to understand that the happiness that Jesus is talking about is way different than the happiness that the world offers. It really is a divinely bestowed well-being that belongs only to the faithful. 
only to the faithful. God wants you to be happy in school if you're in school. God wants you to be happy in your marriage, happy in in your career, happy with your finances. He wants you to be happy with your future. This is really a, a, a series about how you can truly be happy in life. Now, last week we looked at the first step to this divinely bestowed well-being, and that is when you recognize your deep need for Jesus Christ in your life. You recognize that you're poor in spirit. You recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt, that you have nothing to offer God, nothing. The first step, if you want to really experience this deep joy, this happiness that Jesus offers, is when you finally recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt. When you recognize that you truly are a sinner and that you can't save yourself, that you bring nothing to the table of God, nothing. Because when you get to that moment, it's a good day because you got only one place to look. And that's up. You say to God, God, I got nothing. I need you in my life. And the Bible says that when you get to that moment and you recognize how poor in spirit you are and you invite God into your life, you begin a relationship with him, he comes and invades your life, invades your soul. Jesus says, and the kingdom of heaven at that moment is yours. And what could make you more happy? What, what could possibly give you more joy and happiness than to know that you will spend your eternity with God forever and ever and ever, throughout all of eternity, that the kingdom of heaven really is yours? And so the first step in this divinely bestowed well-being is to recognize that you're poor and spirit. Now here's the deal. If you weren't here last week, and I know a lot of you couldn't be, you can go online, click onto the message, you can watch it for free, you can listen to it for free, you can, you know, sub- subscribe to our podcast, listen to it for free. Or if you know you got a couple bucks, it's burning a hole in your pocket, you can walk right out to the resource center when we're done, and you can buy the CD or you can buy the the DVD and it's and, and drop two bucks out, out there. So with this said, let's get into today's message. Okay, once again, Jesus said this in verse four. He said, blessed or happy are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now what exactly does this mean? Well, I think there's application on a few different levels. Um, Last hour, uh, one of our employees uh, was here and she'd spent all week back in Indiana. Her mother had passed away and she went back and she was actually at the bedside of her mother passing away. A lot of grieving happens at that moment. A lot of mourning happens. And I think that the Lord comes and brings comfort. There's no doubt about that. Somebody was sitting right up there last hour, and they had a one-year-old child yesterday who drowned. A lot of mourning going on in that family. A lot of grieving. A lot of tears were shed right up there. And I, I do believe that the Lord brings more uh, uh, comfort to those that mourn in a, in a situation like that. But God, God doesn't bring comfort to everybody who mourns. There's a lot of evil people who do evil things, perpetrate evil on others, and God doesn't bring comfort to them. So what, is, what exactly is Jesus saying here? Blessed are those who mourn. 
Well, to me, I think it's pretty clear. He's saying, blessed are those that mourn or grieve over their sin. Blessed are, are those who mourn or grieve or are broken over what their sin has done to others, maybe their spouse or their children or their friends or what, 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 what their sin has done to their parents. Blessed are those who mourn and grieve and are broken over what sin did to Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. That's the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about here. Now why are you blessed when you mourn or you grieve over sin, over the impact of, of, of sin? Well, because when you truly understand what the Bible says about sin and the crummy impact that sin, sin had on your life, and especially on the life of Jesus, it leads you to only one place where you can find for forgiveness from your sins, and that's Jesus. You see, when you call out to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of your sin, he forgives you. And when you know that your sins have been forgiven, it brings great peace and comfort into your soul. There's an unbelievable joy and happiness that comes to me when I know that as a believer and I blow it and I sin and I mourn over it and I grieve over it and I'm broken over it and I cry out to Jesus to know that my sins are forgiven. That, that's a comforting thing. It really does make my life happy. To know that, hey, God, I got nothing before you. I'm poor in spirit and I've invited you into my life. The kingdom of heaven is mine. And now that as I go through this life, I'm broken over my sin. I'm broken over the, you know, what my sin has done to others. I'm broken over what your sin does to others. I'm broken over what sin in general did to Jesus, you see. In a little bit, we'll have the bread and the cup in our hands. That's a great reminder to us of just how horrible, how heinous your sin is and my sin is. See. Paul had to send a, a really harsh letter to the people at the church of Corinth. They were all goofed up with a, a lot of sin and junk in their life. And 2 Corinthians is really a follow-up letter to the first letter that he sent. And it says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you. That was the first letter. Though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it to you, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow, it's the kind of mourning or, or, or grieving God wants his people to have. So you weren't harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow, the kind of mourning or grieving God wants us to experience leads us away from sin. And it results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Obviously, there's no regret for that kind of sorrow because it brings the forgiveness of God, the hope, the peace, the comfort of God when you have that kind of sorrow over your, over your sin. King David, who was Israel's greatest king by far, had done some really crummy things in his life. He had a lot of, a lot of sin, and it says this in Psalms uh, 32. He says, oh, what joy, <laughs> oh, what happiness 
For those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight, yes, what joy, what happiness. For those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty, when I refuse to confess my sin, when I, when I didn't mourn over it, when I didn't grieve over it, when I wasn't broken over it, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. And we probably all can say amen to that. Remember those times when you're not mourning over your sin? You're not grieving over your sin. You're just okay with it. And God's Holy Spirit is doing his work in your life. <laughs> Finally, I confessed all my sins to you. I stopped trying to hide all my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. In other words, I, I was mourning over it. I was grieving over it. And you forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. That's a comforting thing. To know. That all your guilt's gone. That when you sin and you're broken over it, you mourn over it, you grieve over it. You call out to Christ. He comes in and he forgives you of your sin. Wow, to know your guilt is gone. It's an unbelievable, comforting moment. True happiness comes to those who mourn over their sin because their mourning or their grieving leads to the only place where they can find forgiveness and comfort and hope from their sin, and that's, and that's Jesus. I think the, the story of the prodigal son is a great illustration of this, this great biblical truth. It says this in Luke chapter 15. It's a familiar story for most of us. Jesus told them a story. He's got a group of people gathered, and he's gonna, he tells this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, hey, I want my share of your estate now before you die. In other words, hey, Dad, I haven't done anything, man. You've worked hard. You've built this ranch. You got all this money. You got all these cars. You got all these homes. You got all this money in the 401ks, Dad. I want my share now. I don't want to wait for you to die. I want the money now. You can kind of get a, a feel for how just crummy this kid was. Kind of sin in his life. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Man, he's living in sin. He's living in total disobedience to God, and he's okay with that. There's no mourning or grieving over his sin. He's not broken about his sin. He's, he's having a great time saying, God, ah, who cares about you? Who cares about what you think? He's fulfilling all the desires of his flesh. He's, he doesn't care about the Lord. He doesn't care about what God thinks. About the time that his money ran out, a great famine also swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Finally, he came to his senses. 
And I want you to know, that's one of the great phrases in all of Scripture. He came to his senses. Hey, Christian, remember the day you came to your senses? Remember when you were out just living in sin? You didn't care about God? You didn't even believe in God, maybe. And you were just doing whatever you wanted to do. You didn't mourn over sin. You didn't grieve over sin. You didn't even believe in sin. You just did whatever it is you wanted to do. I remember those days. But I also remember the day when I came to my senses. And somehow God removed the scales from my eyes. And I could see the truth about sin. What sin was doing to my life and had done to my life, what sin had done to my relationship with God, what sin had done to others around me. He came to his senses. He finally began to think about his sin, and, and when he finally began to mourn and grieve over his sin, this young man said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. He's, he's come to his senses. He's grieving over his sin, and he thinks, I'll just go home and say, Dad, hey, I'll change my last name. I'll live out in, with the servants in the servants' quarters. You don't even have to acknowledge me. I understand the weightiness of my sin and what it's caused, the pain it's caused you, you know, the pain it's caused Mom and maybe, maybe others. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, His father saw him coming. Dad was waiting. Dad was waiting for him to come to his senses. Dad was waiting for him to be broken over his sin. Dad was waiting for him to mourn and grieve over the sin in his life. Filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to his father, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and, and I'm no longer worthy, you know, of being called your son. But his father said to him, Servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and get it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf that we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and he's now returned to life. He was lost. He was in sin. He was okay with it. Just living in brazen sin. But now he's found. So the party began. The boy found comfort, didn't he? Great comfort when dad's giving you a kiss and get, dad's giving you a hug and dad's throwing a robe on you and dad's throwing a ring on you and dad's killing the best cow that there is and, and they're partying. Isn't that amazing? See, that's what you find when you're broken over your sin, when you're mourning over your sin, when you're grieving over your sin, and you come to Christ, and you say, oh, God, forgive me. You find a heavenly Father who's ready to throw a party, bring comfort into your life as a believer again, see? Everybody take their, uh, their, their sermon notes. Um,
you know, we, we put this together every week, and this is for those of you that are visiting, really. And then we also put together a daily meditation page. And, uh, you know, a lot of the sermon never makes it into the, into the message, but we take the message and we do our best to, to get you into the scriptures, uh, other scriptures that might be related, maybe some of the scriptures we're looking at now, and ask you a few questions. But we always put a, a memory verse up there. And every day, like look at Monday, begin the day in prayer, meditate on the memory verse. We're going to have you do that every day. We want you to spend time quietly with the Lord, meditating on his word. And look at the memory verse that we have for you this week. People who conceal their sins will not prosper. People who are, are not broken over their sins, people who don't mourn over their sins, they don't grieve over their sins, they're okay with their sin, they don't prosper. But if they confess and they turn from those sins, they will receive mercy. That's a good thing to meditate on, isn't it? That'd be a good thing each week, each day this week, just to get alone with the Lord and over some coffee in the morning, over lunch, dinner at night, and just look at that and meditate on that. And wow, that's true. When you confess your sins, you, you find great mercy, great comfort when you come to grips with the sin in, in your life. Now, I want to make sure you, you, you get this, okay? Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, Christ suffered Jesus suffered for our sins. And this week, it was easy just to read that and go, hmm, then, then I decided in my time of meditation just to go, Christ, I'm looking at the word of God, and I went, Christ suffered for our sins. And then it was, Christ suffered for my sins, mine. It's my sins. Mine. See, it's easy for me to look at you and go, well, pff, yeah. You know, we're a bunch of sinners. <laughs> you needed Christ to suffer. My gosh. It was my sin. He never sinned. In a little bit, you're going to hold the bread and the cup, and a little piece of bread reminds us of the beautiful life of Jesus, the perfect life of Jesus, the holy life of Jesus. He never sinned. Everybody else in this room, you know what? We've all sinned. He never did. Second person of the Holy Trinity came down to, 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 to heaven, and he never sinned. And so when you're holding that little piece of bread, it's to remind you of his unbelievably beautiful life. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. So when you're holding that little juice, it's a great reminder to you that the only reason why any of us will ever be in heaven is because of the beautiful life of Jesus and the horrific death of Jesus. He suffered because of your sin. It was a horrible death, a heinous death. It was a humiliating death. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said, I passed on to you what was most important and what was also been passed on to me, and here it is, here, here it is. Listen, man, here's the most important thing Paul says. Jesus Christ died. 
punched and beat up and blood coming out of his eyeballs and out of his ears and out of his nose and out of his skin that was broken. Blood coming out of the, the crowns that were jabbed onto his forehead. Blood coming out of his hands. Blood coming out of his legs. He died for our sins. For my sins. That's what your sin caused. That's what my sin caused. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul goes on and says, For God made Jesus, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God. Isn't that just, on the one hand, it, 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 it's somewhat, it bums you out to know what it took to get us into heaven, but then you go, but God so loved me that he let his son go through all that so I could get to heaven. Do you grieve over your sin and what it caused God to have to do? The father had to tell his son to leave the glorious uh, 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 trinity, this, this unbelievable love that was there, this unity that was there, and the son had to leave and come here, take on the form of a man, and die a horrible death because of your sin or, 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 or my sin. Do you grieve over that? Does it, does it impact you at all, Christian? I mean, is it okay just to kind of go about life and just blow off God and his word and just keep sinning brazenly, knowing what it took to for, forgive you? Listen, I, I, I know my sin. <laughs> and there's a lot of my life that I would be super embarrassed to tell you about. Super embarrassed. I'd be humiliated. Things that, you know what? Good day when I die because it just goes with me. And I hope that when I'm finally at the age where I, I, I don't have it, I hope I'm not just spewing stuff out when you, when you come and visit me. You know? I, oh, Lord. Uh, just let me go because there's some things I frankly just want to take to the grave with me. In fact, if these jumbotrons were to come on and you were able to see some things in my life, uh, some of you would get up and walk. You wouldn't want to hear me preach. And as I've often told you, if I put up on the jumbotrons all of your crummy life, I wouldn't want to preach to you. <laughs> so but that, that's something that we have in common, you see. It's that, the point is, is that, man, we just all have some ugly stuff, right? I mean, we just all have some really ugly stuff. And it took this beautiful life, the life of the, the Son of God, to come and die for me, to forgive us of our sins. Hmm. Let me take you back to the very moment that Jesus died. In my opinion, of all the things that Jesus said when he was on the cross dying, this is without a doubt the most shocking in Matthew chapter 27, about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means he cried it out, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? And the reason he had to cry that out was because of my sin. He's crying that out. The, the father has turned his back on the son. And here the son, my God, my God! And that's all happening because of my sin. Your sin. You grieve over that? You ever, you ever stop and just... Let that rattle around in your brain. What's going on at that moment? Why it's all going on? It's all going on, not because God had nothing else better to do and hey son, why don't we go down for 33 and a half years and goof off down there on planet Earth. No, no. It's our sin that caused him to come. It's our sin that caused him to suffer. It's our sin that caused him to yell that out. Man, unbelievable. The Bible says this in Romans chapter 6, for the wages of sin is death. And that word wages right there, in the Greek it's an accounting term. And what it means is this, uh, if you have a job in here, maybe you get paid every week, every two weeks, once a month, once a quarter, I don't know when it is, but uh, let's say you work down at McDonald's and you get a paycheck every week. The manager comes out and says, hey, here's your paycheck for this week. Now, you don't have to say thank you. It's a nice thing to do, but you don't have to say thank you. You earned that. It was your wage. You worked hard flipping burgers, putting the fry thing down, making codes, dealing with, with customers. You made McDonald's quite a bit of money. Here's what is owed to you. It is your wage. It's what you deserve, you see. The Bible says, here's what you deserve. Here's your wage because of your sin. It's death. And not just physical death, but there's a spiritual death that takes place. But, it's <laughs> a great word, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's gift to you is eternal life. It's a, it's a free gift, but it's not cheap. Somebody had to pay for it. Somebody had to pay for your salvation. It, it's free to you, but someone bought your ticket. Somebody had to you know, pay the penalty. Somebody had to pay the dues. His name was Jesus Christ. The Bible says this in Romans chapter three, God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. He gave up his life, the shedding of his blood. I read this story this past week of um, these two kids. They, they, they lived in New York together, and they went to elementary school together. They went to junior high together. They went to high school together. They went to college together, and eventually they actually went to law school together. So they spent their whole life together. Well, when they graduated law school, their lives kind of went in two different directions. Uh, one of them became a very prominent uh, federal judge in the New York area. And the other uh, kid, is, took a, like I said, took a different turn, and he got all goofed up with drugs. He got all goofed up in all kinds of stuff, and that led him to breaking in 
into homes and stealing stuff to supply, you know, his drug habit and, and all, the, all of that kind of stuff. Well, many years later, the, the second guy got caught on some fraud charges, and he went to trial and was convicted, and the judge throughout the trial was his former friend. And everybody was kind of wondering, you know, if the judge would show some leniency to his buddy when the sentencing came. Well, what the judge did surprised everybody. First, he handed down the largest fine possible by law to his friend, and it blew everybody away. Then he got up, he took his robe off, and he walked around, stood next to his friend, whipped out his checkbook, and he wrote the check and paid the fine. Now, what was the judge doing? The judge was doling out both justice and mercy at the same time, which is exactly what Jesus did for you on the cross. Both justice, God is holy, and sin must be judged, evil must be punished, and mercy. Jesus says, I'll take the punishment, I'll take the penalty, I'll take the rap, I'll write the check, kind of a thing. The Bible says this in Galatians chapter three, but Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. You see, I deserve to die a horrible death on a cross. That's what I, that's what I deserve. I'm very much aware of my sin. I know what kind of life I used to live. I know how I used to speak. I know what I used to do. I deserve to hang on a cross. I deserve to have, be punched and jabbed and poked in the eye and had a crown. I deserved all that. But God so loved me, he sent his son down, just like the judge came around the bench and said, Rick, I, I really love you a lot. I created you in your mother's womb. And you know, there's a penalty for sin, but I'll take it. You, you, you stay down there. I'll do it. Because the penalty's gotta be paid. There, there's a penalty. But I'll take it. I'll take it. And he was perfect. He was holy, righteous. To truly understand the impact your sin had on Jesus, you'll mourn and you'll grieve over it. When you're holding the, the bread and the cup here in a moment, I hope there's some mourning and grieving going on. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this in James chapter four. He said, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Beloved, this is the state of those who truly are broken over their sin. When, and when God sees a, a heart like that, he comes and fills them with his comfort. Yes, in the Christian life, I have a lot of times when there's lots of laughter and, and we have fun and there's joy or, I don't know, we're playing a game, we're out swimming, we're with friends. Uh, uh, there's a lot of joy and there should be. But the Christian life ought to have these moments that are very sobering where there's not joy going on, there's tears being shed, there's sorrow and grief over our sin and what it caused Jesus Christ to have to go through. There's a great 
moment recorded in the Bible of Peter mourning over his sin. It says this in Mark chapter 14. It's a familiar story. Most of us know it, but let's revisit it again. It says this in verse 66 of Mark chapter 14. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard. Jesus is going through the mockery of a trial. Okay, Jesus has been arrested. He's real close to being put on the cross. One of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself at the fire. She looked at him closely and said, hey, you were one of those with Jesus, the Jesus of Nazareth, but Peter denied it. I, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, and he went out into the entryway. Just then a rooster crowed. When the servant girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them, but Peter denied it again. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, hey, you must be one of them because you're a Galilean. And Peter swore, he cussed. He cursed on me if I'm lying. I don't know this, you know, who this man is. I don't know what you're talking about. Obviously, he's not grieving and mourning over the first sin of denying the Lord. He's not broken and, and, and grieving over the second time. And immediately... The rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through <clears throat> Peter's mind before the rooster crows twice. You will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and he wept. Why is he weeping? He's broken over his sin. He's weeping because he's grieving over his sin. He's now reminded of the sin of denying Christ. And he's broken over it. And just to let you know how the story ends, I've been to the very place where they believe this took place. It's on the shores of the Galilee. And there's Peter. And he comes to shore. And there's Jesus who has a little breakfast made for him. And Jesus brings comfort into his life. Jesus loves him, cares about him, and says, now look, get back out there, do my will, feed my sheep. That's what always happens. Whenever you're broken over your sin, Christian, when you really mourn over it, when you understand what your sin has done to your spouse and to your children and to your parents and to those that you care about, when you understand especially what your sin did to Jesus, you know what? You'll mourn over it. You'll grieve over it. Now let me, let me quickly say this. A person that truly understands the, the weightiness of, of sin, they mourn and grieve over their sin, will also mourn and grieve over the sin of, of others. Psalms 119 says this, tears stream from my eyes because people do not obey your teachings. Christian, you ever seen how somebody else is living? They've chosen to blow off God and his word. You see them living in sin. And you know what sin is doing to them, what sin's doing to their marriage maybe, what sin's doing to their children, what sin's doing to their parents or whatever it might be. You understand what Jesus had to go through because of the sin and your heart's broken over it? Somebody else has sinned. 
It's one of the reasons why God wants us to get in each other's grill every now and then. If we see somebody else living in sin, if we see somebody living contrary to his word, God wants us to go to them and say, hey, come on, knock this off. Don't live like this. Your sin's going to mess your life up. Your sin's going to mess your family's life up. Your, your sin's going to mess up a lot of things. You're going to lose your, your home over your sin. I've known people who loved a clear beverage, adult beverage, so much. They loved it so much. Just drank it all the time. Lost their job, which means they couldn't make the mortgage on their house payment anymore. They couldn't make the mortgage on their car payments anymore. Over a clear liquid You see, when you see what sin's doing to other people, you can't help but mourn over it. You can't help but mourn over what Jesus had to go through because of their sin. So what should our response be to these things? What, what's the practical application piece to all this? Well, um, I'm going to ask our hosts and hostesses to come forward right now, okay? And we've got some stuff up there. But the, the first thing is this, is I think we've got to spend every day remembering the life and the death of Jesus. I think that'd be a good thing. In your times alone with the Lord, you ought to just spend some time remembering his life. Remembering his death. I mean, there was a reason why he came. He didn't come because he was looking for a vacation. He didn't come because he had nothing else better to do. There was a purpose behind his life. And remember that he lived a beautiful, perfect life for you, and that's what the bread's going to represent. I want you to remember that. But you ought to remember that every day. And then you ought to remember, you know, that moment on the cross where he gives up his life and he sheds his blood. That's a good thing to remember. You don't have to dwell on it in your times of prayer. But to simply stop and go, man, Lord, I'm so thankful for your life. Thanks for coming and living a perfect life for me. And Lord, I'm grateful for the death on that cross because it's that blood that brings forgiveness. Just remember it. You don't have to spend a lot of time doing it. But you ought to at least take a moment to remember it. And so here's what we're going to do. Over in the venue, you guys are going to sing a song, and you're going to walk forward, okay, and, and get it and take it back to your seats. And here, we're going to pass it out to you. And then in a moment, we'll, we'll, we're going to receive it together. And uh, I just want you to spend some time remembering, okay? And Pastor uh, Tim is going to lead us in a, in, a, in a song here. Father, thank you for this holy, holy moment of remembering you. And I pray this in your name. Amen. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it
practical piece is I'm encouraging you, not just whenever the church does communion, but to always have a moment where you remember his life and you remember his death. I think that'll keep you sensitive to sin in your life. But I, I think number two would be spend time every day evaluating your own life. And here's the deal. I know your hands are full, and so I've already written it in for you in your notes. It's already there, okay? Um, because I knew you were going to be holding these two things. See, you've got to spend some time each day evaluating your, your life. You've got to give God a chance to reveal things to you that you, you don't even know. Psalms uh, 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Point out things in my life that, that I'm, I'm not broken over. Point out those things in my life I, I, I'm not grieving over. I'm not mourning over them. And it could be because you don't realize they're there, or maybe you do realize they're there. But you're saying, Holy Spirit, please do, do your work in my life. And one of the works of the Holy Spirit is he brings conviction. And then lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's a good thing to spend some time each day saying, God, hey, look, yesterday I was so busy. I got so busy doing this, that, my job, this, cleaning the dishes, whatever. Is there something in my life, Lord? Is there some sin? King David said this in Psalms 51, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. It's a good thing to 
recognize, get to that point in your life where you recognize the sin, you recognize the disobedience, you recognize the evil. What's sad is, is that all of us can get to a point in our lives where we don't recognize it. We may not recognize it because we look at somebody else's life and say, well, I'm better than that guy. Well, you might be better than that guy, but that still doesn't mean you don't have some sin you need to deal with in your own personal life. In fact, this is so important. Leviticus chapter 4 says this, if any person in the community sins by accident, he can sin by accident. Did you know that? And how you sin by accident is you just don't know it's a sin. Some of you are so are young in the faith, maybe you gave your life to Christ last week, you don't know what the Bible says about certain things. And so you're living a particular way, thinking that it's okay, you're sinning by accident. It's still sin and it still needs to be dealt with. In fact, look at what he says. They sin by accident and they do something which the Lord has commanded must not be done. He's guilty. You're still guilty even if you don't really realize it's sin. You're still guilty of it. When the person learns about his sin, which is why you need to read the scriptures, study the scriptures, come to church, get in men's groups, women's groups, whatever it might be, is because you need to learn the scriptures because you might be sinning by accident. When the person learns about his sin, he must bring a female goat that has nothing wrong with it as an offering for his sin. Now, thank God we don't live in the Old Testament, so you don't need to bring goats here next weekend, okay? But if we did, every week this place would be filled with goats. In fact, I would be thrilled with that. Because I would know, you know what they learned this week, that they were living in sin, and they're turning from it. I'd be thrilled if they had to bring a goat here. Because I'd go, oh, look, that person learned something this week. They were in God's Word this week. Maybe they were at men's Bible study. Maybe they were at women's Bible study. Maybe they were just at home reading the Word on their own. Maybe it was last weekend in church and they went, oh, my, oh, I've been living in sin. I learned something. I've got to take a goat to church. Now, don't bring any goats. Don't do that next weekend. I don't want a goat in here. I, I got... But that's kind of a beautiful thought. But my point is, you see how important it is to God? He doesn't care whether it's by accident, whether you know about it, or it's just brazen. It still needs to be dealt with, you see. And it could be this morning. You went, wow, I learned something. I've been, I've been in sin. I, I've got to take care of it. Well, you're holding the bread and the cup. You're holding the, the two great uh, symbols of the God who loves you and cares about you and wants to forgive you. God said this, through the prophet Jeremiah. By the way, before I share that, uh, I want you to know, the mark of a mature life isn't sinlessness. That's only gonna happen when we get to heaven, okay? The mark of a true, you know, of a, of a, of a mature believer is a growing awareness of sinfulness. Well, when I first gave my life to Christ, I didn't know anything. I was sinning by accident all, all, all week. I sinned by accident for a whole long time. Still sin. The mark of a mature person is, is that they have a growing awareness. Oh, 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 I see that sin. Yeah. See? That's, that's the mark of a mature believer. And by the way, sin could be something that God wants you to do that you don't do. 
James says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, to him it's it. But God said this through the great prophet Jeremiah. Listen to this. This is just crazy. Therefore, Jeremiah, go and warn all Judea and Jerusalem. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. I'm planning disaster for you instead of good. So turn from your evil ways. Be broken over your sin. Mourn over your sin. Grieve over your sin, each of you. And do what is right. But the people replied, don't waste your breath. We will continue to live as we want to, stubbornly following our own evil desires. And that could be somebody in this room right here, or over in the venue, or watching online. You claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You understood that you were poor in spirit and you gave your life to Christ. And now as a believer, you know what? You know what God's word says and you're choosing to live in brazen sin. Hey preacher, don't waste your breath. I'm not gonna do what God wants. I'm gonna continue to live in sin. If that's you, let me just tell you something. You wanna take that little piece of bread in that cup and set it down and don't partake. You're holding a piece of bread that's to remind you of what God had to do. He had to come here. And you're holding a cup that reminds you of what God had to go through because of your sin. And if you're gonna be that brazen, just say, hey man, Saturday night, somebody came up to me and said, hey, you know, you, you freaked me out. You scared me. And I said, well, good. And if you're here and you're going, dude, pastor, you're freaking me out. Good. Because there's a great warning when you come to a moment like this. This isn't to be taken lightly when you remember what Jesus had to go through for your sin. It's a weighty moment in the life of a church. And so you spend time remembering his life and his death, and then you allow God to evaluate your, your, own, your own life. And this is what I'd, I'd like to do. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Brothers, sisters, let's remember the life of Jesus by taking the bread together, okay? Brothers and sisters, let's uh, remember the horrible death that Jesus had to go through, the shedding of his blood, the suffering to cleanse us of our sins. Let's drink the cup together. And let me give you number three. Okay, I told you there are three application points. Number one, you spend time every day remembering the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus. Number two, you spend time every day evaluating your own life. And number three, this one's kind of universal, if you will. You spend time every day in God's word. Every day. Second Timothy chapter three says, all scripture is inspired by God. It's God breathed. That's why we use terminology like, uh, this is the inerrant word of God. It's God breathed. 
The Holy Spirit came upon the writers and supernaturally he filled them and they recorded the very words that God wanted recorded. Now they, record, they, they, they pinned them in their own personalities, but all scripture is inspired by God and because of that it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. This is the book that helps us know, hey, this is what's right. Hey, this is what's wrong. Hard, hard to, you know, if you don't know this, then you can sin by accident, right? It's this. We need this. You need to read it every day. Get your nose in it every day. It corrects us. The Word of God corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. God uses the Word of God to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And so, you know, when you have your, your, your quiet time at home, your times of meditation at home, or you're driving in your car, I don't care when you do it, I don't care how you do it, just do it. You, hey, man, I want to remember you, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for dying. Thank you, God, for that. God, is there something in my life that I need to deal with? Is there some sin in my life? Am I sinning by accident? Is there something going on? And then, you know, take your Bible, smartphone, if your Bible's on that. I don't care. I don't care how you get into the Word. And then just begin to read. It's this. Spend some time there. Because you know what? You'll be um, confronted with things that you knew, and you'll go, I, I, I knew that. Oh, God, help me. Forgive me, God. And you'll learn new things. Oh, wow. I didn't realize God's word spoke to that. And I, I guess I am living in sin. Yeah, you are. Now let's, let's correct it. And so, hey, spend some time just remembering Jesus' life and his death. Spend some time allowing the Lord to reveal to you sin. And always spend time enjoying the word of God. Whether it be just in your living room or in a Bible study or, 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 or whatever it is. Okay? Over in the venue, everybody stand up. Everybody stand up in here. Let me, let me pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this weekend. And I certainly have enjoyed all the music. I've enjoyed prayers and communion. I, I've enjoyed the fellowship. I've enjoyed talking with friends. I've enjoyed communion. And I certainly have enjoyed your word, Lord. And God, I want the people of this church to experience your happiness. And Lord, it all begins when we surrender our life over to you, and then, God, it continues when we are very sensitive about the sin in our life. And there's great, great joy and peace and comfort when we just walk in a way that honors you and we deal with our sin. Lord, continue to use this sermon, the, the words of the scriptures to transform us more and more into your image, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, live for Christ.